All right. Um, Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 11. Uh, I think I actually just want to get cut to the chase. Uh, we are in a series here in Philippians. Uh, we're preaching this across uh, Parkview. Today we have, uh, I think, Pastors Doug and uh, Pastors John on the other campuses uh, are, are going to be preaching that. And so, uh, and so uh, oh, just excited to, uh, to chew on this with them and to, uh, to, to have the Spirit speak to us today here at North Campus. So I'd ask out of reverence for God's Word that uh, if you're able to, that you would stand as we read uh, our, our text today, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. It reads, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Being, uh, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus is Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And because we are so thankful for the words that God gives us, we say thanks be to God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, um, yeah, uh, so we are a divided people. Uh, we are a divided nation. Um, I had some, uh, some thoughts here this week. Um, I mean, just one random example, a uh, timely example. But as I, uh, this was the recurring thought that I had going through my head, this division, as I watched uh, the State of the Union this week. Um, the State of the Union, it wasn't so much um, who wrote the, the, the speech, who delivered the speech, who attended the speech. I don't feel like that was a part that really was there for me as I watched this, but it was just the whole event. I mean, maybe if you would say not the state of the union, but rather the state of the state of the union. What, what all is surrounding this idea of this phenomena that we have that is the state of the union? And what I saw there is just as I looked and, and, and watched it, there were many good things that were said, um, but just the whole feel is really reflective of where we are uh, as a people, as a nation right now. And I don't think that's unique to, to, uh, to our point in time or all of history. There's just this idea of division that's always really been there. Uh, one of the examples that I give, again, I'm not, I'm not weighing in on the policies or, or, or the people here, but just a thought that, that I saw that struck me. And I don't know if you saw it, um, I watched it as well. Uh, there was, there was, there's this idea that came out. Uh, the president says um, something, he speaks to abortion. Uh, he speaks to abortion, and, and he was really intense on the, uh, on the New York uh, uh, governor and, and, and the lawmakers there in New York, pretty much, well, basically condemning them for their decision on late-term abortion. Um, but he says something. In, in this reasoning there, he, 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 he brings out this phrase here that maybe we all know. He says, the image of God is in these kids. The image of God, he, he, he puts that foundation right there. The image of God is right there. And at that moment, something happened here. 
uh, half of, 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 of the audience, uh, the male Republicans, they all stand with thunderous applause, and then half of the room, the, the female Democrats, they, they're all sitting. And I looked there and I thought, okay, if I'm not an American and I know what's going on here, if I'm this alien that just dropped into this society, I would wonder why we're talking about babies and the ones that don't have the babies are cheering and what's going on. This is really confusing. And I think when I step back, I say, there's something different happening here. There's something that we've been taught here. There's a division that's not supernatural here. Uh, it's, it's not very natural. There's something else at play in, in, in the people even sitting here. They've been taught when to stand and when, when, to, when to cheer, regardless of the issue. And this one is incredibly controversial. I mean, I'm even nervous talking about it right now. But I see this, and I'm like, that's, but shouldn't the ones who bear the child Shouldn't they be thinking about this? And I didn't know what was going on there. And it was just a sign that we are divided people. But even going along that line, it, w- it wasn't even a few minutes later that, uh, that, that, that a president, he says uh, that they're the image of God in a baby, and so we need this, he didn't, I don't think he said sanctity of life, but he said we need to protect these lives. Like 10 minutes later, then referring to our foreign enemies says, and we'll kill those monsters. And I say, wait a second, what is going on? Even our line of thinking in politics. Even our line of thinking today doesn't even agree with itself. There is an image of God, but at some point, that image of God turns into the image of a monster and is rightly killed. And I just was, I was just, I was so, so blown away. And I thought, we've got a problem here. Now, I don't think that we're unique. And I bring this out because it's very pointed, and I'm sure there are supercharged people right now, and feel free to send emails. I don't like talking politics. Um, I'm not a political man. I'm not a political man, but I am a Bible man, and I really think that Philippians speaks to exactly those ideas today. That's why I bring it out here. Because the Philippians are trying to figure out what does it mean to be a good citizen. I mean, last week, if you were here, or if you weren't, you could just look back here. It says, let your manner of life be worthy. Literally, that means be a good citizen. I mean, that's, that's the Greek behind there is be the best citizen you can be. And so we watch these things and we see how, what does it mean to be a citizen in two kingdoms? We see Paul struggling with this in jail, trying to be a good citizen of both kingdoms. And it means evangelizing the jailer in jail. We're a divided people. I think that we're divided not because we've been taught this thing or that thing. Maybe that's some of it. I feel like we're really, we're foxholed. We're, we're stuck in our camp and we don't really want to poke our head out to engage because we're either going to get blown away or we're going to accidentally commit some, some atrocities. We don't want to engage in the conversation so we kind of sit back on the sideline sending other people out into the front line and, and shooting them down when they start talking. We don't engage in that well. And especially at the level of, of Christianity, it's troubling it's really troubling when we can't even agree as Christians on, on what that is. So what Paul does here is he doesn't say, hey, I turned on the State of the Union, blah, 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 blah. Caesar isn't the greatest thing in the world. It's not, he's not saying that here. Rather than blaming the, the society that's shaping us, rather than blaming our fallenness, which it's there, and he does that elsewhere, Paul here does something special that, that, I, that I'm so excited about. This has been a tif- difficult, difficult passage for me. Um, to prepare, to preach. What he does here is he offers a third way. He says, rather than try and figure out what the problem is here or there, there are some problems. He says, why don't we all just look at this idea of unity? And instead of talking about it this way, why don't we all just take a look and why don't we all just look that way at the cross of Christ 
and then realize that when we do that more, that we're unified in where we're at. So it's a really interesting thing. I want to say, I want to fix it, stop doing those things. But Paul says, let's all just look at Christ. Let's do this, and in that, be unified. So today, uh, our, our very simple urge that, that, that Paul has for us is be unified in Christ. Now, that's super ambiguous. So we're going to flesh that out quite a bit here this morning. But be unified in Christ. But this unity that's in Christ is, is far uh, deeper and different uh, than what we might think unity is here now today. And so uh, it's a very challenging text, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get into it here now. So um, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, the three points that I have, uh, if, if you like outlines, uh, have the same mind. That's going to be the first four or five verses. Have the same mind. Uh, the second uh, point will be look to Christ as the pattern of our humility, and then we'll finish with look to Christ as the point of our humility. Have unified mind and look to Christ as the point and pattern. Be unified in Christ. So let's start here. Let's uh, start working through this. Uh, verse one and two. So uh, I'll summarize it. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, then complete my joy by being of the same mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. I've just taken out all the filler. Uh, and then, because we love diagrams here, we've got uh, diagrams. So this is just a simple way to uh, read your Bible and kind of understand because Paul, when he writes, he has a very small sentence oftentimes, and then he adds a whole bunch of extra things into it and makes gigantic sentences. And so this is how we maybe diagram the sentence. Super nerdy, but it's helpful. He says, if then, that's what he leads off with, an if then statement. If you have, and then you can read this, just copy and paste uh, from, from, uh, from the text here. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, partnership in the Spirit, affection, and then it's alighted or left out, of Christ, affection of Christ. I think that's uh, chapter one, verse eight, the affection of Christ. And then we go down sympathy, which is also uh, concern, is another word, concern. And then what do we add in there? For one another. If you have these things, then he's going to get to that, but, uh, but we'll stay there. You can keep, uh, oh, he says, then complete my joy. See, so, so if you can actually, sorry, can you go back to the last slide? If you have these things. So uh, I, I want to maybe look at this, flip it a different way, just for, for the teaching side of it. Uh, maybe it's not to say if you have these things. He says, if you don't have these things, then you, they might be red flags of your Christianity, I mean, he really is saying this. If you have these things, this, these are the marks of a Christian. These are some of the marks. And it's not that you have to have confidently mastered every single one of these, that I have only encouragement all the time from Jesus Christ. Now, that's ideal, and that's where we should be, but that's not always the case. Uh, if you have comfort from love, from the love of God, from the love of your brothers and sisters, if you have partnership, this is this idea that he's developing in Philippians, this koinonia, this fellowship, this togetherness, and it's in the Spirit. If you don't have these things, then you aren't really a Christian. If you don't have affection of Christ, if you're not loving your enemy with the love that Christ has for his enemies, that though, though we, were still, we were enemies, Christ died for us, and you can't say, oh, my ex or my boss or my whatever is also under the blood of Christ and forgiven. If you can't, if you can't have that, we need to work on this, question this. He says, if you don't have these things, then, 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 then question that. But if you do have these things, then what he's saying is, you're a Christian. You're a growing Christian. These are things that are great. And if you have these things, then what do Christians do? Now you can go to the next slide. 
They get busy completing my joy. Complete my joy. And here's the thing that I, I just ask, you know, Paul when I read, I'm like, come on, complete my joy by doing these things. Okay, great. What is your joy? Uh, well, we get that not directly, but indirectly. Here are the things he says. This is how we complete my joy, Paul's joy. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, being of one mind, having this mind. Just sit there with some of those. What do we see here? There's a whole lot of talk about being of the same mind, thinking the same way, approaching things the same way. Even when he says be in full accord, I mean, full accord, he's basically saying like super sameness. <laughs> you know, <laughs> be, be, be united this way. So this idea of, of, of division should not even be among you. Not because I'm saying don't be divided, but I'm saying there's one way to be united. Having this same mind, it ends in verse 5, that phrase ends and follows with, that is yours in Christ Jesus. So there's a mind that we're supposed to have that Paul wants us to have. There's, there's something about this mind, this sameness, this, this unity that we have that's, that's in Christ Jesus. It's because of Christ Jesus. And here's where I'll say what I've, what, you know, what I've said before in the outline form Jesus is the point and the pattern of our unity. But I've skipped a few verses here. We'll come back to those. And in those, he says, there's a humility that needs to happen here. There's not a winning of the argument that happens. This sameness, this unity, this oneness, this, this sameness of mind, this mind comes through a humble approach. And now he's going to set Jesus right up on the pedestal and say, now let's look at his humility. So, we're going to move to the next, uh, the next point here. He says, uh, he says uh, Jesus is the pattern of our love. Jesus is the pattern of our humility. Jesus is the pattern of our unity. I feel like this is such a good thing for us to hear. Because, because it's, it's easy for me to tell Christians, be unified because of Jesus. It's a thing that we say. It's like a Christianese, you know, slang. Uh, and though it sounds easy enough for Christians to be unified, uh, to be, uh, because they're united in Christ, I, I don't feel like we act like that. I don't feel like we act like that too often. And sure, we show up to the same service, uh, we say the same words, uh, we work and or raise families in the same spaces, we feel pressure to learn, uh, to lean politically one direction or another, but I feel like that's like, if we really step back, it's not just basic citizenship that we share with people that are non-Christians. I guess not unique. What is this uniqueness of, uh, what is the Christian unity? What is the Christian humility? Because we could be, you know, what everyone else is and then call that good and exist somewhat well. But there's something unique about it. And if we really believe that Christ is that big and God is that forgiving, it's going to shape our humility. It's going to shape our, our unity. And it's going to transform the way we approach the world. So what is Christian unity? When we live in this way, when we live in a way that we just are doing the same things, not actually rooted in the same Jesus or the same view or an understanding of Jesus, when we do it, it's, it's, it's not necessarily wrong. I mean, there's some wrong in it. It's just not complete. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. Complete my joy. It's not complete. What you're doing is, is good enough, but it's not complete. And don't we want complete? Don't we want the fullness of what we are intended to be as a koinonia, as a fellowship, as a partnership, as a church, as a body? I don't want to walk around with half my body. 
So neither should we walk around with half the body of Christ. Let's be the full body of Christ, healthy, vibrant. And so we need humility. We need unity. When we do approach uh, our faith as something that is, is just kind of unifying here Sunday morning, I'm all unified with you because we're all here together. I think sometimes what we do is we just put Christianity as one subgenre of being an American. And it's just a thing that we do and part of what we do or don't do. And, you know, yesterday or later this afternoon, I'll be a big sports fan. And right now, I'm a Christian. And then I'll be a worker bee. And then I'll be, you know, a father. And then we just kind of segment these things. When we do that, what we do with, with our faith, with our Christianity, which is all-encompassing, is that we treat Christ as this momentary point, this threshold that we pass through, that, that, I, that I didn't have Christ and now I have Christ, and then I just keep doing what I did, but I pass through that gate and now I can just keep living as a Christian, doing the same things. Rather, what Paul is saying here and what he's been saying here is that, is that as Christians, we must treat Christ as the ongoing point and pattern of our life every day, every minute. And that is where he's going to dig in here. And so he's going to explode his theology here in the next few verses. They're meaty, they're heavy. I'm not going to spend eternity on these, but I want to because they are rich. So I want to go there. Look to Christ as the pattern of our Christian humility. We are in verses 5 through 8 now. Uh, I've got uh, 5 through 8 on the screen. It is correct. Uh, The words are correct. Uh, The citation, I put the wrong thing there. 5 through 8, I'll read it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's a mouthful. That's a ton of information here. And this is what Paul does. He he just kind of explodes theology everywhere, and it's beautiful. So how do we digest this? If you write in your Bible, or you have one of those nifty little uh, journals, we've got some writing for you to do in your Bible right now. Um, So I want you to do this. Circle, no, sorry, underline, underline, did not count, and emptied himself, and humbled himself. And then he wants you to circle the, word, or the phrases form of God, form of servant, human form, and here's what it should look like. Uh, you can go to the next screen. There you go. Form of God, form of servant, uh, human form. Did not count, emptied himself, humbled himself. There's so much here. This is so rich. This will be up for a bit. Um, there's so much in this that uh, this is our structure. This is our outline. So I kind of want to go through this and just explore what did he do when he was in this form? That's kind of the the question that I'm going to ask here. If there are repeated words, like this isn't rocket science here, if there are repeated words when you read the Bible, they mean something. Uh, The Holy Spirit didn't intend someone to just like run out of extra words to say and then just write the same word over and over. There's something about that. So the fact that it says form, 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 that's a little bit of where we get this structure. What did he do when he was in that form is the question. So I'm just giving you the work here because it's not like you have to go to seminary to get that. You just read the words slowly and thoughtfully and you can get it. Um, What did he do in these forms? So, verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not count. What does that mean? 
So uh, I think that uh, one of the, one of the uh, translations, I think, says consider. Uh, that's a great word. He did not consider equality. And so what is he? he's thinking about this. He's considering it. He's counting these things. And so I want to be clear here. It's not like Jesus drew three columns on a whiteboard in heaven one day. And he's like, I wonder. Here, let's put at the top here, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And now I'm just going to kind of, let's see, what do we have? Okay, so he was hovering over the waters, check there. He was, uh, you know, the one that, that wrote on the Ten Commandments. And then he, over here, walked on water. That's a good one. And so he's comparing these things. And at the end of it, he scratches his head and he says, ah, I can't count myself equal. Like, he's not adding it up that way. I think that's, that's what Paul is saying here. He's not, he's not thinking about this comparison between God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son. Maybe here's another example of, of how that works. Okay, so I was born and raised in uh, Grand Island, Nebraska. And from that thunderous applause, I can tell that many of you, uh, I can tell that many of you maybe have never even thought of Grand Island, Nebraska until I just said it. You had not thought of, considered, or counted on Grand Island, Nebraska, much in the same way that Jesus isn't counting or considering the equality with God. It's not on his mind. Like, you didn't have that on your mind. It's not on his mind. So it's not as though he's thinking, am I the same? He's not even thinking about that. Tim Keller is always much smoother and more eloquent at explaining these things. So I think it'd be great to show a quote from Tim Keller here. Tim Keller, uh, musing on uh, some of the stuff that C.S. Lewis says about humility, he says this, the, es- the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. So it's not that I'm sitting at the table having a conversation with someone and saying, okay, just don't, okay, you want to say something, just don't say it. Just don't say something. This is about them. Ask them a question. Okay, keep the focus on them. Keep doing that. That's not humility. That's like feigned humility. I mean, it's good. Take that step forward. It's basically what I do whenever I talk to any of you because I'm so not humble. Uh, it's about them. It's about them. You're a pastor. It's about them. Uh, it's not even having to do that. Now, here's one example we get in Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. There you go. That's a great example of this. He's not even thinking about if I die, well, what's that going to be? You know, blah, 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 blah. He does go through that process, but he he continues with how is Christ going to be most glorified in my life or in my death? I happen to be alive. Not thinking about I really, really want to be alive here, this and that. uh, Or I really, really want to be dead. He kind of leans towards that. But how is Christ advanced this way or that way? Uh, And maybe I'm in jail, maybe I'm at work, maybe I'm in marriage, maybe I'm uh, here in this church today, maybe I'm somewhere else, but I'm not thinking about me, and I'm not thinking about myself, or less, or more of myself. It's not even a thought. I'm focused on the cross of Christ, and I'm focused on the glory there, and I can't but help declare that out. And that is humility. So then we have this example here of Jesus. Jesus, I mean, you can't, you can't beat that. Uh, and so he has this example that Jesus has thought of himself in this way or hasn't even thought about it, but he just knows he should do something. So I want to put up a slide here because here's another diagram. The form of God, that's where we're at. In, in verse 6, he is, uh, he, he is in the form of God, and what does Jesus do in the form of God? What does, this is the big question, what does humility look like? What does Christian humility look like 
for the purposes of unity. What does it look like? Well, Jesus, his humility, is in the form of God, but what is he doing? He's not counting equality with God. He's not even thinking about it. So then that means that what happens there, he then becomes the form of a servant, and he empties himself. That's where we're at right now in the text. So verse 7, but he emptied himself. So he didn't count himself, but rather he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, I want to make a quick but very important point here regarding Christ emptying himself. This is a big theological point, uh, but I don't feel like we need to explore the recesses of it right now. Very clearly, I want, I want to make this clear. Christ emptied himself of this role, of his role and status, not his divine nature or his attributes. That's, that's a big deal. Christ emptied himself of his role and status, not his divine nature or attributes. He didn't stop being God. Rather, he had a status, and he emptied himself of that. How do we know that? I'm just making that up because I'm like, ah, we gotta protect Jesus. Because it says that right in the text. Paul clarifies that Christ's emptying happens not by shedding his divinity. So he didn't count himself Uh, equality with God, anything to be grasped. So he just threw away the divinity part and he became not God. No, it doesn't say that there. It does say something though. He says he didn't count equality something to be grasped, but same thought, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So that emptying of Christ is that the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Son, laid down his role and status, becoming not only fully God, but now also fully man by taking the form of a servant and a suffering one at that. This is what happens. Though in the form, high status of God, he doesn't even think about this. This is humility. And so he takes on the form of a servant because this is part of God's divine plan that a suffering servant would be there. And it's really fun that, that though sometimes we think we have to become servants, like the text here suggests that he says, uh, what does it say here? Um, taking the form of a, uh, of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He like puts those as the same thing. It's like if you're in the likeness of man, you're also kind of a servant. I think that's an interesting thought there. So we see the journey of Jesus Christ, though in the form of God, not considering equality with God, but emptying himself of the status and his role to take on the form of, of a servant. And now verse 8, it reads, and now being found in human form, so there's, there's, a, there's more of that piece. So now he's in a new form, He humbled himself. He wasn't done. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right, I feel like I'm about to preach here. Um, So he's in the form of God, moves to the form of a servant, moves to the form of man, and he's not done there. He humbles himself, and now it's very, very hard to see. There's a cross there. He's driving himself down there. He comes from this huge height down to the lowest of lows. God above God's, He's up there at the beginning of creation, the foundation of this world. He is with God. The Word was God. The Word was with God. I mean, this is there. This is Jesus Christ. But for some reason, he chose 
I would say his love. He chose, I would say, his humility. He chose to follow the will of God, driving himself down from heaven into this fleshly body and not stopping there as this like Hercules, half God, half man, I can do whatever I want. He takes on the form of a servant, not arrogant, but humble, That's different than Greek theology. And he drives it even further. He says, I am laser beam focused on the good of others because that's what humility does and the good of others right now is that the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God must die for the sins of the world so that others can be with God. That is his humility. He's not thinking, I need to get out of the way. He's thinking, how can I leverage my role and my status so that they can be here? That's humility. That's different than what we think of sometimes. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says it this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Oh. So that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, uh, pastor, professor, preacher, Charles Spurgeon was preaching a sermon on this text right here, and he says something very similar to what, what, what Paul is developing in Philippians 2. He says it this way. He says, Oh, for the words to picture the humiliation of Christ. What leagues of distance between him that sat upon the throne and him that died upon the cross. Oh, who can tell the mighty chasm between the heights of glory and the cross of deepest woe? Trace him, Christian. He has left you his manger to show you how God came down to man. He hath given you his cross to show you how man can ascend to God. Follow him, follow him all his journey through. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, for the words to picture the humiliation of Christ. His humility is the mind that we should have. Have this mind among yourselves. Be this kind of humble. And what does that mean for us? As we look at this, we can see that, you know, I'm a a little hesitant to say it, but I think it's helpful. Don't take it too far. Though we are in the form of Christ, we are brothers and heirs with Christ. Though we are in that, we shouldn't, consider ourselves equal to Christ, but rather should take on the form of servants in the way of Christ. What does that mean if I do it that way? I know that sounds strange. You're not Christ. So in your dealings with people, you're not the answer. You're not the solution to the problem. How many times does a pastor do this? How many times do we do this? Where we say, well, I think I, I, think I, I, think I hear what's wrong. Here, let me help you fix that. Why don't we say, oh, that's tough. That's difficult. Let's figure out how he fixes it. Let's go that direction because I could tell you it's just going to be so freeing in your life if you finally embrace forgiveness. If you finally forgive that person that it's just a wretch and you can't forgive. That'll be great. But what if, what if we looked at the cross of Christ and our sin and the bigness of God so long that we are compelled to reflect the forgiveness that he has for us? If I understand how much I am forgiven, that's going to the cross first then won't I just naturally forgive out of gratitude? Won't I just naturally see that the sin in the other person is sin in the other person and not that the other person is Satan himself? We don't do that so well. 
But when we coach each other, sometimes we coach each other that way. Hey, here's how we can fix this problem. Yeah, I don't know. We've got some financial problems. Oh, maybe we could just budget this way or that way or this way or that way. Maybe we could figure out what, what's making this difficult. Maybe we could figure out the idea of maybe our addictions are, are leaking some of this money. Maybe we could understand that maybe our discipline. Maybe we could understand that some of our choices. Maybe we could understand that we can have a confidence in Christ that is here and is real. And so we can make different decisions, not using our money to cover up the identity that we wish we had. That's already there in Christ. That's going to the, Christ, or to the cross first. And when we do that, I love that we're doing the soul care thing. We call it soul care, but I really want to call it what it is. Instruments in the Redeemer's hand. We see ourselves as conduits of God's grace. We don't carry the electricity. We're the conduit, and his grace flows right through us. We are instruments in his hand. We are not the solution. We are not the worker. We are instruments in his hands, and we need to view ourselves that way, and that is the humility that Christ has that drives him to the grave. But we can see this humility here and maybe take it too far. So, luckily, for our sake, for God's glory, Paul turns the corner and brings us back here. Uh, This is uh, verses 9 and 11. Look to Christ as the point of our Christian humility. I'd love to go on and on about all of these verses. We only have time for verse 9, so I'll go there now. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I'll just stop there. Therefore, I want you to circle that. Therefore, that's an important therefore. I mean, therefore is always important because it means that we're going to conclude what we think here and whatever. Um, Here is the balance to Paul's teaching. We've been exploring Christ's humility by tracing his unique journey in form and in motives. Form of God, of servant, of human. His motives that he's not counting equality. His motives of emptying himself. His motives of humility to the point of death, death on a cross. And here now, God, seeing his servant on the cross chooses to highly exalt him and bestow on him the most magnificent name. Therefore, is a different kind of threshold. It's the threshold uh, between the places of deepest forsaken depths and the glorious heights of God. Therefore, is not God looking back on him and saying, what works have you given? How much humility have you poured onto the scale? It's kind of disconnected. It says, therefore, because Jesus was in the depths and God is a loving and merciful God, he chose out of his goodwill, therefore seeing him, to take him up to the name above all names. And I think sometimes we want to be imitators of Christ because, well, the Bible tells us to do that. And we could take this line of humility a a bad direction and think, oh, Jesus was glorified and exalted because he died on the cross. I don't think that's what Paul is trying to say here. Maybe there's some of that there, but what Paul is developing here is this idea of humility. Humility and that posture of humility drove him to the grave for the sake of all. And so be humble, have that mind, but don't don't expect that humility and that mind and those acts of humility to be a direct reward in heaven. I think sometimes uh, we, we get this notion, well, maybe, maybe just to say it plainly, our humility is not the work of our salvation. 
It's not what gets us saved. Jesus wasn't exalted simply because he died on the cross. There's some of that there, but that's not what he was thinking. He wasn't thinking, I can't wait for the resurrection and the exaltation. He, was, he had a different focus in his work, and that's the mind that Paul wants us to have. The humility is not the work of salvation. Rather, it's the response to salvation. We are humble people because, not because we need to save ourselves through our humble acts, but rather we're humble people because we understand that there is a very big God who has saved us and we couldn't have done it ourselves. And so we must be humble. I mean, if we continue this, this, this works righteousness of humility, of, of, of always trying to choose the lower route, the, the servant route, what, what, what Paul is kind of correcting us to here, as he says, that this, this is going to strip cross, uh, the Christ off of the cross. It's a ceaseless Catholic penance that, 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 that Luther saw, and he said, we've got to stop this. We must reform the church. This was some 500 years ago they had this conversation. We can't keep confessing out of, out of, our, out of our, our need to get enough confession, enough uh, 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 guilt, enough shame on the table. That's there. But if we don't know that Christ has forgiven that and we know that that's resolved, then we're always going to be trying to be saved by our posture, our humility, our, our unity. And that's not what he's going for here. So he really is making a fine tune on, on this humility. Be humble, be unified. The only way to true unity is through, humil- or is through humility, but humility is not what saves you. Christ saves you. Your humility is simply a response. So at this point, he develops this distinct Christian humility. Our humility is distinct because it rests on a holy, loving, and just God. That's different than the rest of the world. Our humility rests on a sinless, crucified, and risen Savior, and it's bound together by a partnership in the Spirit. That's different than the world's humility. That's different than the world's unity. And only through that can Christians rightly come back to the table from a very different direction and truly engage as unified people. So now that we've gone through all that, and that was pretty deep, I want to kind of (laughs) come back up uh, here a bit. Now that we've effectively, what I would say, scratched the surface on Christian humility, uh, what might the response of humility look like for us today? We're able to go back and rightly read verses 3 and 4. I'll read them aloud. Our kids will return, and, uh, and and we'll continue on. Do nothing from selfish ambition, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's a lot in here. I feel like my, my task today is to set us up to think about this. Really, the homework, if there is homework, is to read verses 3 and 4, because there's a ton of application in here. To count others. Don't count equality with God, count others more than yourselves. That's where your counting should be. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but to the interest of others. So here are a couple rundown, I don't know, uh, starter conversations or thoughts. So if we go in mind and heart and in strength, in your mind, view humanity as bearers of the image of God for all their life. Think about the implications of, of what that means. Maybe a different way to say this, Believe in the best in people. Um, 
view them as you want God to view you. That's a great way to put it. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that. View them as you want God to view you because they have the image of God in them. In your heart, maybe your next step in this journey of of unity, of humility, is to just drop the facade. Acknowledge that the real battle is, is not between one another, but it's against the powers of heaven and hell that use one another to fight. You and I are not the enemy. Sin is Satan. That's the enemy. Fight that fight and help each other fight that fight, even when it seems like the other is the enemy. That takes forgiveness, true forgiveness, lasting forgiveness, forgiveness that actually doesn't bring it back. It takes confession, humble, awkward, honest confession, and it takes embracing being teachable. Now, this is the pattern that Christ gives us. This is the way of true humility. This is not what we see in our culture often, if at all. And in strength, in your mind, in your heart, in your strength, serve. I feel like that was a pretty easy one. Just find ways to serve people. I don't feel like you have to like hit this deep theology of serving to understand and be formed by the practice of serving. So we just do it. we're just getting everybody signed up to serve here uh, for the next quarter at, at Parkview, uh, Parkview North. And um, doing some of the stats, uh, more or less 75% of our regular attenders are actively serving. That's nuts. That's wonderful. That's a good nuts. That's fantastic. So nice job. But when you're serving, if you're not, if you're not 25, mm, uh, you can sign up to serve. What a great opportunity. Um, you know who you are. Uh, the, uh, but if you are serving, then uh, there's something else that you can do because it's not simply go and do this task because we're building a machine. I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. He says we're, we're part of the body of Christ. So when we serve, let's think about how we are serving. How does the body work? If I'm greeting, what is this part of the gospel that I'm presenting to people in my hospitality? If I'm making coffee, though it's excellent and wonderful and so very time-consuming, it's worth it. What am I doing? How is the gospel displayed here? If I'm singing, if I'm playing music, if I'm collecting the offering, if I'm distributing the elements, what is that part? It's not simply just doing something because we need it done. We are shaped and formed in the way of humility and unity when all the parts are working together. And so we can do that even when we're serving. It's a great opportunity to serve. We try and make it very simple to serve so you can like not think about how awful it is and how difficult and whatever, but so that you can have that space to truly worship in the serving. So if you want, sign up, get in and do that. It's an easy way to do that. Over all of these, put on love. Resist gossip and slander. Talk it out with one another. Get each other's back and know that you can get each other's back. Uh, the worst thing is to find out that you totally disagree with someone and you didn't talk it out, and now it's public, and now you have to hash it out. But, but get each other's back, because we're brothers and sisters. We should be united. Get each other's back, even if it's at the cost of your own name. Even if your coworker or your spouse dropped the ball, don't throw them under the bus. It's tough, but it seems like the way of Christ and even small corrections can build into bigger, longer-lasting corrections. Pursue excellence in life. Live worthy lives of the gospel. I'll finish it here. In a divided time of increasing division, unity won't come from the loudest voice, 
the party with the most seats in this or that term, the most powerful military, the most momentous movement, and any of those finally winning or imposing their view. It will come from, deep, from humility. It will come from deep and costly humility. Selfless, not considering self others, uh, but others first. Not considering self unto death for others kind of humility. And that kind of humility can only be found in Jesus Christ. So have humble hearts and have humble minds. And Paul urges us very clearly, very accurately, be unified in Christ. Let's pray.